Welcome back to the Women of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to chat all things Marvel and more. This is Judy Stevens. And this is Sana Amanath. And we're excited because finally, after years in the waiting, Marvel Studios Black Panther is coming out this weekend. It's so good. Oh my God, it's amazing. I loved it. I have so many feels. So many feels. Talk about representation. We've been talking about representation so much, and now it's yeah. here. I mean, it's not just black male representation. It's black female representation. It's African representation. It's African-American representation. I mean, it's... I think the women are truly the breakout hits of this film. What I loved about... Outside of everything, right? Outside of the fact that it was a great movie, it was a lot of fun, had so much swagger, the soundtrack is great, just all of the things. I will say this movie is so visually distinct than any of the other films from sort of a set design perspective, from the fashion. I think it's done so beautifully and so seamlessly. And so because of that, we've got to speak to some people behind the scenes who actually were involved in that. We actually uh, had the opportunity during the Black Panther press junket for Lorraine Sink to go out and talk to the set designer and just talk to her about like design and like working on all the different pieces and like what was it like to work with the director and the talent and just be a part of this monumental experience. And then on top of that, I talked to Dorian Fletcher, who is the jewelry designer. She worked along with Ruth Carter, the costume designer, to create all the Dormelage jewelry, the beautiful gold and silver. so beautiful. And I kind of little fangirled over her a little bit. So who we're going to talk to first? Let's check in with Lorraine, who is talking to the set designer, Hannah Beachler. I have been so excited all day to talk to you because I just can't stop thinking about what an important character Wakanda is in this film. And that's really, I think, what you're bringing to life in this film so much. And I know you did a ton of research. What was that process like for you? It was exhilarating. And it was a lot of fun because within the research, you sort of start to like see the ideas, Mm -hmm. you know, see the direction. And then I can sort of like start molding it and then taking that to Ryan. And then he sort of puts his hands on it and molds it. And then, you know, that's where our collaboration comes in. And so that was really important. And I think the other really awesome thing was just about getting it right for our world, for our fictional country. Right. And that was really, you know, the research was so immense that... Yeah, there's a know. lot of years of comics. There's like 50 years or more of mm-hmm. comics. You put together a, like a 500-page... I did, Bible. Bible, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, you know, I started working on it like the day I started on that show. And I think it was done, completely done, the whole 500 pages by like... I don't know, the last day. Because <laughs> yeah. I couldn't stop myself. I'm like, I, right. it could have been a thousand pages, you know. It's interesting because comics are such a visual medium. Mm-hmm. Was it different to sort of have this kind of already established palette and art to pull from? Well, I mean, we used all the, a lot of the comics as source material. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, and I've said before that, you know, looking back at the 66 of Jack Kirby and, and Stan Lee, I looked at it in the sense of the year that it was right. created. Definitely. And what did they know about Africa? Because for us now, it's like, 
we have the superhighway. So right. all information, but then your information is very limited to books and what you can get a hold of and whatever is going on in the news at the time and what news is actually being told. Right. So for me, it was very interesting to see like what information that they had, where they were drawing from, you know, why things looked the way they did. And a lot of what they drew from was North in Africa. Right. Uh, so you're looking at Northern Sudan, Mali, Timbuktu, and Egypt. You know, and those were where a lot of the shapes came from. So f what I took from that was the Timbuktu, right. you know, and you will see that all over in the film, the Timbuktu building, which is sort of an iconic shape that Jack Kirby used. And then you sort of roll into the 90s and then into ta Coats, where they pay homage to some of the Jack Kirby shapes, mm -hmm. that sort of half U, sort half circle shape building, the skyscraper that kind of goes like this. And there's one that's sort of like this weird oval shape and yeah. kind of looks like a tuxedo inside, <laughs> that they redo those in, in his comics. So I actually did talk to Brian a little bit. and. Selfries. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. very cool. Yeah, about that. And I know that Ryan was in contact with Tanahatsi and their look is very much a retro future look. Definitely. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And it has this great sense of biomimetics in it where he really is likening a lot of that technology to what's organic in nature. I also think it's really interesting because you have these five different tribes and each sort of sect has their own feeling and their own, when you go to their area, you feel mm -hmm. such a different vibe. Would you mind talking a little bit about sort of the different looks? Yeah, I mean, you really see like the border tribe and the horses and the village, you know, and that's right. our, our sort of ancillary military mm -hmm. that protects the borders of Wakanda. So what we saw was the outer border tribe. And for us, it was like basic training. Right. And their families are there. In a sense, it's like this is a duty that they've taken on, mm -hmm. you know, and then it becomes their way of life. Right. It's a tradition that they've chosen, mm -hmm. you know. It has to look a certain way, obviously, as you see in the movie. Right. It has to be a certain thing. So, you know, it's like a choice that they made, like just joining the military for an 18-year-old right. kid. And then you have something like the River Tribe, where they don't really, you know, engage in the same technology that the people in Golden City do. You know, they kind of take it easy, you know. They kind of are like, you know, they can, they have access to it, but they prefer to fish the way they do, a Congolese fishermen do, They because they're conveyors of the river and they're very close to nature and their, their world is a little more easy and, and less tech. Well, and speaking of that, you built the uh, Warrior Falls, mm -hmm. which were incredible. That was a whole built practical set, yeah, right? How do you even begin to work on something that immense? Very carefully. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, the research trip and location, Scott, that we did to Africa really helped. There's a right. picture behind you of oh, Blighted yeah. Canyon. And so I wish you guys could see these pictures because they're phenomenal. Yeah. And, you know, there's me standing on a rock that with a 3,000 foot drop right there on the other side of it. So I'm sort of like bracing myself. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that trip was about the plant life in mm -hmm. different parts of South Africa and talk to people about, you know, there's a certain type of flora fauna in South Africa and in sub Saharan Africa mm -hmm. that you will not find anyplace else in the world. It's literally indigenous to that part of the world. It's specific, and the way that it grows is specific to that. So I'm taking pictures of all of these plants. I'm taking pictures of rock, the color way of the rock, why it's that way, what sediment looks different in different parts of South Africa and different parts of Africa, because then it informs what the rock looks like. And so this right. rock is a lot after Oribe Gorge, right. um, beautiful gorge, and it's all horizontal shaling. 
that you don't normally see. Usually you see these big square right. pieces, but this horizontal kind of that you see in here is really indigenous to a lot of the um, mountain ranges in, in South Africa. So that was like one important piece. This set took like <laughs> 10 months in total. It was like wow. six months to draft it. We had models built of it. We drafted it. We taped it out. So we kind of understood like, is it going to fit for the action? There was a lot of logistics because we had 150,000 gallons of water going through that for two weeks. Wow. And 150,000 gallons of water can do some serious damage. Yeah. So we had to be very careful about how it was affecting the rock around it. Um, that sure. the water never stood too still. We always had to have a flow, so we had to figure that out. And then all the tanks underneath and stuff. So this was a big, it was a big yeah. undertaking. And and when it was done, I just was like, oh. <laughs> nap time. <laughs> it was like, Last oh, line. thank you. We Call made it a it. day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and you mentioned the Golden City also, which I want to mention. It's very cool. I've really never seen anything designed like it in a film. I think it does such an amazing job of really mixing sort of that Afro technical mm-hmm. world. Where were you kind of pulling ideas from for that? Oh, from everywhere. You know, people ask me, like, what kind of films were you inspired by? And I think the one, we see Steptown in it. And Mm -hmm. the thing that I looked at a lot for that, and one of my favorite movies is Blade Runner. Yeah. Oh, I can see that. You can see that, yeah. And how they treated the streets. They were dense. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of people. And there was a lot of stuff going on. And I think one of the my favorite scenes in a small scene in Blade Runner is where Harrison Ford sits down and eats the noodles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he's like at that outdoor sort of like noodle place. And you'll notice that there was the braai place that was open air. And the little kid grabs the braai and you see it being flipped. And a lot of the places were open air because we built that whole street. Right. And that was sort of my went to Blade Runner, because that, to me, was really the first thing that I saw that, in a sense, does what Panther did, where there was this sort of sci-fi, but it was on Earth, and... And it's like the future, but it's now. Exactly. Which I I love that sort of sense. I just love the Mountain Tribe. I thought that image, you see it in the trailer, and it just takes your breath away, where it feels very airy and high. Yeah. What was brewing for your mind for that? You know, that was one that took me a minute to find. I designed a lot of different looks for that, and then nothing was right. Ryan said to me, he's like, you know, there's a specific look of everything in Wakanda, right? And there's one specific thing, and I'm waiting for somebody to pick up on it. There's one specific thing in every single set, and that should be the opposite. Because they're so off, because they sort of left this idea of vibranium, they don't worship Bass, they worship Hanuman. Um, They're not really a part of the rest of Wakanda in that way. They're Wakandans, so their aesthetic should be different. And upon him saying that to me, I was like, yeah, that's... Right, you're right. I'm trying, the reason I'm not feeling it and it's not right is because I'm trying to force this aesthetic from the rest of Wakanda into a place that isn't supposed to be. And it was never gelling. It was never sitting right with me. And as soon as he said that, then it just sort of opened up. Mm -hmm. And then we started it. And I wanted it to feel dangerous and intimidating. Mm -hmm. So you have all these pieces of birch wood that are filed to a point, which my set deck team actually cut mm, 300 pieces of birch wood and filed to a point. (laughs) (laughs) That was no joke. They actually did that. And so when you walk into M'Baku's, you know, and the lights come up leading to him sitting, that while you're standing there, you have all of these points Mm -hmm. coming at you. 
You know, and there's a little of intimidation there because he's a big guy. I mean, Winston is like six five. You know, he's a big guy. I had to have him stand on set so I could see where he fits. (laughs) Just make sure he fit. Absolutely, and and we did a lot of tests to make sure he fit on that because we wanted it to be a little crunched. Right. So he looks imposing, right? Exactly. And we even put him up on a platform and then on a giant throne, (laughs) and then we brought the stuff down around him because we wanted him to feel that we wanted. There's a reason for that. Look at right. the intimidation here and that there's no, you know, it kind of like drops off at the sides and you're hanging out and nothingness. And here he's sitting in his throne very comfortable, right. you know, and everybody else is kind of like, at any minute he could just throw you over the side or take one of those things and kill you. So right. that was sort of, for me, the fun in that. And once Ryan sort of helped me find the way, I sort of ran with it and came back to him and that's when we started. And that's what Ryan does. He doesn't dictate to you. He helps you find the way. I'm very excited, honestly, by just hearing about your collaboration with him. And also, I love that he has his own sort of production Dora Milaje. Yeah, he does. (laughs) (laughs) Where you guys are, you seem like you're such a team. I I love that you're working with Rachel. Yeah. Are you guys just like a family? How does that unit sort of work? I mean, Ryan created a family on Fruitvale Station. And we are still to this day. I love that. And what he created is unmatched. I mean, it's just like, that was such an emotionally hard film because it was a true story and we were dealing with a lot of the people that were left behind, his daughter and Oscar's daughter and whatnot. And it was small, you know, so there wasn't a whole big crew. And he saw how passionate and how hard we all worked and how we all kind of held each other up through that experience and saw, you know, his team. Mm-hmm. And everybody, you know, to this day, we're all still in each other's life. Everybody from Fruitvale, you know, even ones that didn't work on Creed and Black Panther, we're all still in each other. You know, some people took different paths and some right. people want to do other things, but we all still a part of each other's life. And Ryan has created that on Creed mm-hmm. and he's created <laughs> that even on something this big right. where every set he would come in and he would gather everybody around and tell the crew why this set is important to him and why it's important to the story right and how it moves the story forward and what it means to the character so everybody was in it 100 percent. when you mm-hmm. hear him like passionately tell you these things you're well what can you do but like give you 100 percent of yourself 150 percent of yourself I, I think that's so amazing the way that he he works with you guys and i think it's just been so beautiful to see your collaboration both with ruth carter the costume designer <laughs> and, and rachel morrison yeah uh the yeah. three of you women i just think are so yeah. inspiring i know we were so excited to get to talk to you yeah. with the women of marvel podcast because we just think what you're doing is so important to film uh, i appreciate that. Is there anywhere that you'd like people to follow you or beyond in the world? I'm on Twitter. There you people go. People can follow me, Chinchilla 1970. <laughs> Your true inner essence. It is my it inner is. essence. You know, I'm this little weird animal that kind of cleans itself in sawdust. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Thanks to Hannah for chatting with Lorraine. And next up, we have our interview with Dorian Fletcher, who is the amazing jewelry designer and wearable art designer who worked with costume designer Ruthie Carter to work on the Dora Milaje costumes and all the different pieces that you see in the film. Let's go to my interview with Dorian Fletcher, who I talked to at a very rowdy press event. Hey everyone, it's Judy Stevens, and I'm here with Dorian Fletcher Hi. at the Black Panther fashion event, and you create wearable art. Yes, I do. And it's amazing. Thank you so but much. But first and foremost, before we get into the beautiful jewelry behind us, 
you actually designed the pieces like the Dormelage and the different characters that is like on screen. Like fans at home are going to go see this movie and they're going to see this beautiful art. Like what was it like being a part of that? It was an amazing experience. So I actually worked under the costume designer, Ruthie Ruth, Carter, yes. who is an amazing human being and I love her so much. <laughs> <laughs> and so to be able to create work under her was a very fulfilling experience as an artist and as a metal artist to be able to do number one do something I love doing and yeah. then doing it in such an impactful way knowing that it was going to be seen by millions of people who were going to see a different version of what Africa is yeah it meant a lot it was an amazing experience it was a lot of uh, growing pains and learning curves being that this is my first movie yeah but um, it was a very fulfilling honoring experience. I felt very uh, honored to be part of this project. I mean, yeah. and it is, it looks amazing that the Dormelage are these fierce women mm -hmm. that they stand for more than just defending the king, but defend, like, look for women of color to be strong and powerful on screen. But we were talking a little bit about how you went to South Africa and you sort of learned how to do art there. When you were there, that was where it started, where you tried to find like these sort of the African elements into your art? So at the time, I wasn't even an art, I didn't consider myself an artist. But what I really liked was this functionality of what jewelry meant to a person and what they're communicating when they wear it. Even like during their rites of passage, they wear, especially particularly I studied um, part of the Zulu culture. Okay, yeah. Um, what they wear communicates something. And in their rites of passage, they wear certain things. And so that was the beginning, that was actually the seed that was planted that made me start thinking once I did start making jewelry, how do I communicate certain things? How do I communicate that this woman is very strong and she's very powerful and she's artistic or creative or sensual or whatever the case may be? So was gold always the color that you went to? Like, what does gold mean to you? So I started with copper. Oh, ooh, I started with copper. Copper's pretty too. It's, yes, and then when I first started making jewelry, something in me said, I feel like I've been doing this for a long time and I've been creating for royalty. I swear to you, that's the first thing I said when I started. And so just doing my own research on like Egyptian jewelry and just different cultures in like the Benin culture in Nigeria, mm -hmm. saw that gold was the primary color reflected when they were adorning royalty, royal families. So I wanted to be that person. 10,000 years from now, I want to have my, my jewelry in some museum that tells a story of royal women. There's a mix of colors of gold and silver in the film. When you were designing these pieces, did something mean specific? Like one door Melage was like maybe a little bit higher than the other one or? Mm -hmm. Akoye has the gold yes. jewelry. She is the head of the door Melage. Yeah. And then everyone else. Silver is still a very fine Still very metal, beautiful, right. yes. But just a differentiation. And then also some things in the movie in regards to the color of the metal was the vibranium. Wanting, ah. wanting some of the silver pieces to reflect the vibranium, to make it look like it was used and woven into some of the pieces. So the vibranium is so fascinating because it is obviously a, a made-up metal, but shh. It's, but it's an amazing <laughs> metal because only Wakanda has this metal. It is something that, like gold, a thousand years ago, meant to certain countries, vibranium is. So what was it like sort of stepping into a world, a fictional world that has this amazing metal that meant even more than gold? It was fascinating um, to pretty much conceptualize that and translate that and have conversations because a lot of it was collaboration and me discussing these things with Ruth as far yeah. as costumes. So when she would say like, make this look like vibranium, it's like, okay, well let's talk about what that really means. Yeah. So it was really fascinating, it was really cool to say, okay, this is 
something very fictional, but how can we make it look like it's the most powerful metal that ever existed? Yeah. And so to translate vibranium into jewelry was it needs to be smooth because it's impenetrable metal. So there was that translation of what vibranium can look like into jewelry as far as it being smooth and then it having that silver look, yeah. silver aesthetic. Mm -hmm. I'm actually really excited to sort of see them come to life on the film, but we're actually here at this event because you've designed these amazing pieces mm -hmm. that'll be going out for auction. So like, what was it like being invited to be a part of this event? Being part of the process of creating pieces in the movie and then being able to do this, it's just been a really amazing experience. And then also that these pieces are going, or the funds are going to charity, that means a lot with everything I do. I used to teach at a, oh, okay. at a charter school. And so I'm always wanting to give back and to support somebody else who's doing good work in the world. So it means a lot, and it's really something I've always wanted to do with like my jewelry line. So I'm I'm honored. That's so amazing. Like when you were sort of asked, to, did you sort of like draw on sort of the Black Panther pieces that you had designed? Did you go somewhere new with the the pieces behind us, or a bit of both? I wanted to definitely put that what I consider like a primal chic feel to it. So I wanted it to look handcrafted. Some of the aesthetics, my personal aesthetics, are in the film, so I wanted to make sure that I connected the two. Mm -hmm. And then the Dora Milaje neck rings, I yes. wanted to incorporate that aesthetic in there as well. So it's a bit of both of my own aesthetic and then the Wakandan aesthetic and then my aesthetic that was in the, the Wakandan film, aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a mixture of a whole bunch of different That's things. amazing. So one of the things that Women of Marvel stands for is that we're sort of giving a voice for women out there. And Black Panther is this moment in time where now we're giving a voice to people of color. What is it like to be a person of color designer in this world, being able to get your pieces shown on the big screen? I still don't think I'm really fully understanding what impact that this is having and it's going to have on the world, not just African-American people, mm -hmm. but optics for the world to be informed of a different version of what blackness looks like. So I feel honored, very humbled, I guess you can say. Yeah. Since Ruth has opened this door for me, a jewelry designer, to be in this position, I'm allowed to open other doors for other women of color who have great talents, who want to do big things, but just don't know how to do that yet. Yeah. And I think that Ruth, being a woman of color, saw something in me. She was able to open that door, and I'm able to do that for people yeah. um, in the future. So I think it's so it's important. And right? you also have some ready-to-wear stuff, right, that you people can purchase on your website? Yes, on my website. This will be available on the 13th, February 13th. Okay. And then the official, like, unofficial licensed Marvel Black Panther joy line, which I created more for the Black Panther fan, like yeah. those people who have been fans since they were children yeah. um, and have raised their children on Black Panther. It's for them. People can go check it out. But uh, I wanted to make sure I incorporated Wakanda, the Black Panther emblems, and there's some Killmonger pieces coming as well. Ooh. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited that we were able to talk. Yeah, of course. This was great. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks again to Doreen for chatting with me. It was kind of amazing. I definitely fangirled over. I have a selfie. I'm very excited to post it on the internet. It's probably up right now. You should go look for it on my Instagram. You usually fangirl over any costume designer <laughs> or jewelry designer. So you're just like right in your normal mode. She was just fabulous. Great. So I want to give a special shout out to all of the incredible creators here at Marvel just who have been working on Black Panther over the years. 
Avengers and who are currently working on Black Panther. There's some really great content out there. I highly recommend reading the current run by Tanahasi Coates and Brian Stelfreeze. And we've got another Rise of the Black Panther series by Tanahasi and Evan Narcisse. So go to your local comic shop, go to Amazon, go to the Marvel app. <laughs> there is so many places where you can buy Marvel comics. Yeah. If you haven't seen the movie or you haven't even bought your tickets yet, make sure you go check out Marvel Studios Black Panther. And if you are just really getting into Black Panther and you want even more content, there's tons going on on This Week in Marvel and on our Marvel's YouTube and Marvel.com with reading guides and information about all the different actors and comics and everything. So just stay tuned to Marvel.com and our social channels. As always, if you guys have questions or suggestions, you can email us at womanof at marvel.com or tweet at marvel hashtag women of marvel. Thanks guys as always for supporting us. Yeah, we'll check you guys later. This is Marvel, your universe.